another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hello folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast One man's view of the changing world and the changing economic times And the things that we can do to live a better life If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, November 3rd, and we are up to, believe it or not, episode 85. Uh, as we share another commute together, if this is your first show, or maybe you haven't heard me say this before, my show is always, at least for the time being, dictated on a 50-mile commute between Arlington, Texas, and Frisco, Texas, usually in the mornings, and that happens to be the case this time once again. It's a beautiful 64-degree morning, and I am off, and I have an interesting topic to discuss with you today. And that topic is... A question that I've received from many people that would say they're not a prepper. They don't define themselves as a prepper. They're not a survivalist. They're not even survival-minded. They just live the way that 90% of people in America live today, which is for the moment, for the day. And uh, sure, maybe they save for the retirement, and then they panic when 401Ks crash in half, and then they believe in the long-haul strategy, and they wait for it to come back, and pretty much they go to work every day. They pay their bills. And they live, and I think this is where the confusion comes, by and large they live a very similar life uh, to the lives that most of us live. There's some differences, but overall there's a lot of similarities. I think that most of the people that listen to this show hold down in what we would call a normal job. Some of us are entrepreneurs and we run our own companies, but most of us are typical Americans by that definition. We don't live in the woods in a teepee uh, or a lean-to or something like that. and We hope we never have to. So that the the actual lifestyle is not is that much different to the casual observer. And I think this is why the question is asked in the first place, because what most people think of when they think survivalists is that we're running around, at least on weekends, in camouflage, uh, training with some kind of an unauthorized militia. Uh, they think that our houses are stacked to the brims with MREs and cans of beans and rice and uh, maybe tea rations. Uh, they think that our entire life revolves around arming ourselves with as many guns and as much ammunition as we can get. And the only way that any of this stuff is ever going to matter is the highly unlikely event that the entire system crashes to the ground and we have a massive, you know, at least national if not global uh, depression that money hyperinflates. That, and none of these things are out of the realm of possibility, but they're kind of on the edge of probability. They're out, they're out there. They're the worst-case scenario that we prepare for so that we can deal with the likely scenarios such as a long, deep depression in the United States that the economy doesn't just simply bounce back from the way it has in, in more recent times, be it 1930s or be it the 1970s. We want to be prepared when something like that happens because something like that is going to occur. It is impossible for a system of economics, be it socialist, capitalist, fascist, communist, it doesn't even matter. There's no system of economics that can just continuously flow with no bad times. So we prepare 
for the worst case scenario, so that we'll be able to walk through the 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 more probable scenarios in stride. But there's something more to it than that, and this has been driven home this weekend for me on a couple different things that occurred. The first one is I was, you know, kind of checking out the forum, seeing what people are posting at the survivalpodcast.com on our forum. And um one person posted recently that his mother, I think it was his mother, mother or mother-in-law, had uh, listened to my episode about the Patriot Garden and why growing a garden is actually patriotic and how it takes us off dependence from foreign sources of food. And actually our food supply is doing now what our oil supply did years ago. We're, we're, we're switching the dynamic to where we can no longer even feed ourselves. Just like we can't produce enough oil to run our own vehicles, now we're at a point where we can't produce enough food to feed our own population. So that a Patriot Garden was something that could be done. And I'm sure that this, this, this mother or mother-in-law uh, was... Uh, troubled by all the bad news because he said so Uh, and I'm sure that things including things like watching investments go down were part of that bad news so he eventually said to her, why don't you just uh, turn off the TV? And uh, I think she did. And she started, or she has a small, very small garden, mostly containers. So she started what she called her Patriot Patch, which just expanding the garden and growing things like peas and scallions and onions and other things like that and greens and lettuces. Um, and I guess this started a couple months ago because that's back when I did that show. Well, he kind of updated the post and said that now she's expanded it even more. She's not really listening to the news or TV very much unless, you know, just on occasion. And she's a lot more happy and a lot more content because now she's focusing on something she has control over versus something she has no control over. Well, that just happened to coincide with some of my own winter gardening prep uh, stuff and and a comment I made to my wife right before I read this. And I, I believe in circumstances and and, uh, uh, fate. And I think that things often come together to paint a picture for us. And here's a a very simple example of that. Last night I was outside and my wife was doing some some of her artwork that she does for for one of the local elementary schools around here. And she's at one one of our tables and was doing that. And I was sitting at another table and I was putting together some plants uh, to get ready and get prepped for the greenhouse season. And using little starter cups. In fact, I'll give away this new little method of starter cup making that I came up with and uh, maybe you guys can, uh, can use it for yourself. But anyway, I was out there doing it. I'm drilling holes in these little cups, and I'm filling them with dirt. And I was starting spinach seeds and lettuce seeds. And it was particularly when I was doing the lettuce seeds. And I started 15 uh, lettuce plants of various varieties. And if you've ever planted lettuce seed, it is about one of the smallest seeds that turns into a vegetable that you can you, you can plant. I mean, they're tiny. And I have my 15 little starter pots ready to go. And I have my toothpick. And I had the toothpick marked for a half-inch depth on one side, and I made half-inch little holes everywhere for half-inch of cover. I flipped the toothpick around, and I licked it to get a little bit moist. And I started using the toothpick to one at a time pick up these tiny lettuce seeds and deposit them in their holes and then cover them up. And I said to my wife, you know, this may be one of the greatest things in the world that I can do for myself. And she said, why? I said, because I have to be in the moment here. These seeds are so tiny. And what I'm doing is such minute work. And I have to pay attention if I want to make sure that I give every plant a chance to, to survive, that that little seed goes into the bottom of that hole and then it gets covered up. And I can't really think about our 401k plan. I can't think about our investments. I can't think about anything except what I'm doing right here. And and then I went in and read that comment about that lady on the forum. And I went, yeah, this is what I need to talk about Monday. 
this is what I need to get across to people, especially because I know on any given day I have 50 to 100 people that are hearing my show for the very first time now, thanks to the efforts that my audience has done to make sure the show grows. And that that would be, that there would be people that would want to hear that today. So that's what we're going to talk about. What if nothing bad happens? How are you still better off by being a prepper? And, and those two that have to do with gardening, but I'm going to talk about how this applies to a lot of other things that we do, really get to the heart of the matter. You see, people, I believe that man was put here to live with the earth. And I'm not talking about putting on a flower child dress and spinning around and, and, and singing Give Peace a Chance and Kumbaya and sitting in the middle of the field and getting stoned, uh, you know, like they did in the 60s. And I guess some people still do it today. What I'm talking about is that when you're doing something that genuinely matters, that you have a greater sense of peace and a greater sense of accomplishment. And that if you look at the history of man, and you take out the big cities, that the saga of man, for back as far as we can find, is based on a few things. It's based on harvesting food from the land. It's based on hunting as another method, and fishing as another method of harvesting food, harvesting protein from the land. And it's based on telling stories to others about doing it. And this goes back from the early hunter-gatherers that didn't plant anything to the first agrarian societies that started to build fields and learn about how to isolate different types of plant varieties that would grow best and how to do successive breeding and everything that's created modern agriculture. And for that matter, modern farming with raising livestock finds its roots at the hunter-gatherer level which was developing a way to get a fish out of the water to bring down a buffalo or to make something grow better than it could on its own and telling stories about it. And what does that really mean? Well, to me it means it's what we were put here to do. And you can have whatever religious belief you have. You can be a devout Christian. You can be a practicing Buddhist. You can be a practicing Muslim. You can be a I'm spiritual but not religious type. Uh, You can be a Hindu. You can be any faith. And that does not fly in the face of your faith, even if you have none. It's either because what you believe about God and spirituality puts you here for that, or it's because if you're you know, an atheist and you believe in just everything just evolved, well then you evolved for that. And I think if you look around at society and you take out, again, you take out the misery that people create for themselves by just working every day and not being part of what goes on around them, you take that piece out, you see it everywhere you look. And the further you get from a city, the more you see it. The further you get from an unnatural state, thousands of people living in a high-rise building together with a footprint of a couple acres, right? And then you take that and you go a couple acres and it's one family carving that land and making it something special for themselves. The further you get away from area one to area two, the more you see these things in everything that people do. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's broader than that. I think it's more about 
how we focus and where we focus our time. And I guess this is a good time to tell you guys another little brief story about my past. And it was before I really got into the survivalism, but it's how I shaped my philosophy of life that's led into my philosophy of survivalism. I had been told, because I was involved in business and doing a lot of speaking and things like that, that a book that was very popular at the time by a guy named Stephen Covey I needed to read. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In fact, I would do a speech or a talk, and people would say, if you read this book, you're talking a lot like this book, but not quite where it is. So, you no, know, I, I haven't. Well, you should read it. Finally, one day, I'm like, okay, fine. I believe in uh, a coincidence enough that if enough people tell me I should read something, I go out and I read it. So I went to the bookstore, and I just really didn't feel like spending money. So I went and found the book, and my thought was, you know what I'll do? I'll buy a coffee, and I'll sit down in one of these big chairs here at Barnes & Noble, and I'll read the book. And uh, some people will kind of go, what? And I just read really quick, and I can generally read a, a, a typical book like that in right about an hour, and, and really retain the information. And, and So I, that was my plan. Well, I pulled the book off the shelf, and I just kind of opened it at random. And I found a diagram in the book. And the diagram had a series of circles. There was a little circle, and it said, your circle of influence. It represented everything that you had control over in your life and in the world around you. And then it had a much larger circle that said circle of concern. And that represented everything that you care about. For instance, once Obama's elected next Tuesday, well tomorrow I guess, what's he going to do? How's he going to impact my life? A lot of that you have no real influence over at this point. You know, you can go out and cast your vote, but what the clowns in Congress are going to do on a daily basis, there's only so much influence we have there. The majority of it we do not influence in our daily actions in our lives. And that's everything from uh, what what somebody does in another country to what your neighbor does that you don't control. Alright? That, that anything that you care about. Then there's everything else that you don't care about. Well, that's not the problem. The stuff you just don't care about is generally not your problem. And the stuff that you can influence is not your problem. It's the stuff you can't influence to spend your efforts and time on. So people run around expending energy and expending attention on their circle of influence where effective people go ahead and they expend their energy and their efforts and their on the things that they actually can influence, that they can make a difference with. And you might, and I, I looked at that and I went, oh my God, this is perfect, this is beautiful. This is one of the most succinct explanations of something I've been trying to put into words my entire life. And you would have thought that I would have went and then and spent the twelve ninety five or whatever it was to buy the book, or at least went and bought the coffee and sat down and read the rest of the book. No, I folded the book back shut and stuck it back on the shelf and said, that's why I was supposed to read this book. That's what I needed to know. And I think that's what modern survivalism is really all about. It's about focusing on the things that you can control your area of influence. You control whether there's a garden in your backyard or not. You control whether you go out and put a frost blanket on it so it doesn't freeze in an early frost. You control how you make sure that your investments are put into a place where you have both opportunity and security. You control these things. You do not control these massive things that we hear about on the nightly news every night. And frankly, that's part of the reason this show even came to be. I would sit and I would listen to talk radio on my way to work every day, and I would sit here and go, most of what they're talking about doesn't really matter. I mean, it might matter on the grand scale of things, and it's interesting to look at what could happen if this occurs or that occurs, but in reality, there's nothing I can do about it. 
I can have my little area of influence, but I, I really can't do anything about this happening in the next 48 hours specifically. There's nothing I can do. I can make a phone call to my congressman. He probably won't care. He's already on board with this, or what have you. And it was anything. And it was even down to, you know, a family that had been killed and had their stuff robbed on the other side of town. It's a horrible thing. But there's nothing that I, as an individual in my life, really could do about that. All I could do is make my home more secure. And I got tired of hearing about things that were etherical, and I wanted to hear about, well, what, what could I do? And I started looking for a podcast in the survivalist community that did that, and I couldn't find one, so I created one. That's how this show actually started, and it was pretty much in the beginning just me talking to myself. But I focused on what I could do. And what I could do is I could go out and buy a small recorder and a microphone, and I could do this show. And that's what I've tried to bring to the audience that's grown around this thing ever since, that you have to focus on what you can do. You can store food. okay? You can secure your investments. You can turn your house from a consumer that consumes your resources into a producer that provides more than just shelter for your family. You can change your house from a home into a homestead. And you can do all these things through tiny little steps along the way in a way where if nothing goes wrong, it won't matter. You'll be better off anyway. You'll have a more happy, fulfilling, rewarding life, and you'll be more able to handle the bumps, let alone the mountains that come along the way, than the person next to you. In other words, you'll be able to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. So that's my answer when somebody asks that in short. Well, what if nothing goes wrong? It doesn't matter. I'm improving the quality of my life. And that's something that I don't think most people in the, you know, that think about the survivalist community can even fathom that a survivalist would be most concerned with improving the quality of their life. But my, our interest where it goes different is most people are, think that that's what they're doing. But they think what will improve the quality of their life is a bigger TV or a bigger house or more status or another promotion or more income. Where what the survivalist says is there's things that make me happy. The key to improving this the, the, the quality of my life is to figure out exactly what they are, to focus on those things, and to set up a lifestyle where as much of that can be provided by my own efforts as possible, so I'm as limited in my dependence on other people and other things as possible. That way, if the whole thing goes to pot, I won't care, and if nothing goes wrong, great, I'll have more money to save. I'll be able to take more vacations. It doesn't matter what you do with the surplus of money. All right, that's up to you. That's an individual choice. Some people, if they went on a bunch of vacations, would say it was wasteful. They want to save it. And other people would say, well, if it's saved, it's just money I'm going to die with. So you got to make your own decision on things like that. But what you focus on is what is the most important part of survival preparation. So let's look at a couple other things that are survival-oriented or providing for yourself or even just some physical conditioning things because staying healthy is part of survivalism. And let's see how they maybe are very similar to me last night sitting outside enjoying a margarita in some beautiful weather planting very tiny seeds into very tiny cups. Let's look at fishing. 
Now, I'm not so much talking about fishing, that, and there's nothing wrong with fishing like this. I do it on occasion, too, where you, you, you kind of set up a little spot on a bank, uh, turn a radio on, throw some rods out, put them in a stick, you know, like a wide stick, and wait for something to bite. That's one type of fishing. But let's look at a different type of fishing. Let's look at fishing that you do in a small river or a stream or even a lake, whether it's, it's a, a mountain stream where you're casting out a small little back eddy, or bass fishing where you're tossing a plug from a moving boat into a little space up under a dock. And either way, you're working a bait or a lure, and you're waiting for a certain specific type of strike to occur, and you're going to respond to it. In that moment, if you're going to be effective, you can't be thinking about your mortgage. Okay, You can't be thinking about your boss that pissed you off at work or your employees that pissed you off at work. The only thing you can be thinking about is, was that a weed or was that a tap? Do I set the hook now or do I just reel up some slack? What's this fish going to do? Now that I've hooked it, do I have to horse this fish out or do I have to play him lightly? Right? You can't think about anything else. And the beauty is, generally, you don't have a conflict in your mind. Because you're doing something so innate to what humanity is all about, you just do it. It just happens. And being able to feed yourself with a fishing pole is as much a part of modern survivalism as stacking up cases of MREs. All right? In fact, I would say that it's more. Because it's something that you can do with your time where you can be providing for yourself even if nothing goes wrong. Let's look at just the physical conditioning that comes from hiking. Let's say you're going to take a hike in a rugged area, a few miles long. Maybe you're going out with a spouse and you're going to park one vehicle at one end of the trail and one at the other and hike through from one trailhead to another. Well, on that hike, if it's strenuous, if it's ex- you know exerting force uh, to do it, and if you're having to deal with maybe some slip rocks and, and uh, some wet areas and things where you have to focus on what you're doing, in that moment, you're not again, you're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about you know anything miserable. You're focused on what I can do right now to control the situation so that we can get to our objective. And what will we see along the way? Will we see a deer or a rabbit or birds or other people that we'll talk to that are, you know, if they're out here, odds are they think a lot like we do and they're different than the people that maybe live right in town when we go and we stand in line at the grocery store. And we'll have a conversation that's a little bit different than that. Even if it's just, hey, how you doing? Would you see it that way? Okay, here's what we saw back that way. Good luck. Goodbye. That conversation is different, and the focus of it's different. And you're not sizing the other guy up and going, can I cut a business deal with this guy? Or what's this guy looking for from me? What you're thinking is, hey, here's a fellow outdoors person. So that's another example of something. You know, hunting is pretty much the same thing, especially bow hunting. And if you've heard my my show on bow hunting, I love the bow hunt. And when you're standing on a platform that's maybe two feet by two feet up in the trees, dressed in camouflage, with squirrels running up and down the tree that you're in, not even realizing you're there, and a chickadee sitting on the tip of your arrow looking at you knowing something's not quite right, but it's not really afraid of you, you're waiting for a deer to walk through. And when that deer walks through, you have to focus 100% on what you're doing. And, And it's not like a gun where you can just pick the gun up, aim, fire, down, you have to make sure that you get the bow back without getting caught. The animal has to be in the right position. There can't be so much as one twig in the way. You have to have an opening for the shot. You have to focus on the shot. You can't. If it's a buck, you can't be looking at his horns. You've got to look at that spot and nothing but that spot. 
if there's other deer around, you have to be mindful that they don't catch you moving and set off the alarm and get, you know, even if the other one that you're going to take a shot at it doesn't know you're there. You have to worry about what way the breeze is blowing because the wind shifts and they get a whiff of you, they're gone. And you have to focus on all these things. And when you're focused on all these things, you're not, again, worried about work. All right, and it pulls you out of it. And this is maybe a little bit deeper than most of my shows, but it's maybe it's starting to help you understand why you, why you have such an attachment. Even if I haven't talked about your particular things that you focus on in your survival plan, why you have such an attachment to them. You have an attachment to them because you're behaving the way that you most want to behave and you're acting like a human being. I don't believe that we're behaving in a pure human mode when we sit in an office for eight hours a day in a cubicle surrounded by a lot of people, many of whom we never even talk to. All right, And when we stack ourselves, thousands of people, into a footprint that's designed for a couple dozen, I don't believe that we're behaving like true human beings. The true human beings don't really want to be that way, that we've seen that as a system that we partake of, but not where we really want to be. And there are people that want to be in that environment. There's people that want to live in a high-rise building. right? They want to live in a, in a pristine environment, and they want a view of the city and all. And, and if you ask me to explain those people, I can't explain them. But odds are, if that's you, you're not listening to my show. And then I do think there's some people that have sold themselves that dream that that's not really what they want, that they'd be better off with a hoe in their hand working the soil. And that if they did that for just a little while and found the joy in it, they'd go back to it. That's what they would focus on. And it extends into all things with survivalism. Part of survivalism is figuring out what foods will store with if my refrigerator and my freezer don't work, that are affordable, that I can store in large quantities, and how can I prepare them, how can I cook them. And when you're sitting down with ingredients you've never combined before, and you're figuring out how to cook, I think we find that maybe the main reason women traditionally cooked and men traditionally hunted is because of the rigors involved uh, with hunting, you know, back when men were trying to spear a, a buffalo um, or, a, you know, a, a mammoth way, way back, right? That it was just simply a physical attributes thing because I get as much joy out of cooking as I do out of fishing or hunting. Um, because, it, again, it's a human way to behave. You're acting normal when you take, you know, the fruits of a harvest, so to speak, and figure out how to combine them and make them more enjoyable. And I don't think we're behaving like humans when we try to figure out how to substitute corn sugar for cane sugar, when we probably should really be using either one of those in, in extreme moderation. It, it's a much more natural process to make a glass of wine by starting with grapes on a vine or to make a keg of beer starting with barley in a field than it is to create you know, gummy bears, for God's sakes. All right, one's a natural process, one isn't. And you know, if you look at survival communities, and you go to a survivalist board, you'll almost always find some threads about making your own beer and making your own wine. You'll find people that are deeply religious and don't consume alcohol, and they generally don't partake in those threads. Uh, but it doesn't matter. There'll be some segment of the group that that's what they'll focus on. I used to make beer, and uh, you know, when I was making beer, it was the same thing. And it was a long time ago. I haven't made beer for a long time. I needed to probably. Start 
start doing it again. But I couldn't put my fingers on it. But when I was sitting down and doing math to make a calculation of how much hops do I use with this particular alpha acid, and I was doing basically what came down to fairly complex algebra that I could never get right in school, but yet when I was doing something that mattered, not only could I do it, I enjoyed it. It was the same thing. It was focusing on things that mattered and behaving like a human. So when somebody says to me, well, what if you put all this effort, what if you put all this effort into survivalism? What if you do all these things the right way? What if you store this food? What if you save your money? What if you prepare for the worst and the worst never comes? I go, great. I'll have a blast doing it. Something sooner or later is going to happen. It might not even happen to you and me at the same time. It might be just in my life, but I'm going to be prepared for it, whatever it is. So I'm not going to stress when the the Dow drops 20 points or 20% in a day or a week like it did recently. I'm not going to freak out. If I lost my company, I'm not going to freak out. If I lost a job, I'm not going to freak out. I'm just going to go on about living my life and putting the pieces back together because my life has been centered around creating stability, creating the opportunity to survive should the need arise, and creating a system that is as self-sustaining as possible. So since I'm less dependent upon the things that are outside of my circle of influence but are in my circle of concern, I'm less affected by them spiritually and emotionally. And because of that, I make smarter, better decisions with everything that I do. So, frankly, if nothing happens, great. It'll mean I'll have an even better, more enjoyable life than having to fall back on these things. Let's look at one more thing that's real popular in the survival industry. Guns. Guns and target shooting and even some uh, tactical training and things like that. You know, this is the one that we get... I guess most noted for, most known for, we see, uh, you know, video of, of people in the Michigan militia outside training and, you know, doing buddy ready, buddy moving and, and field medical training and all these other things and basically doing the same type of thing that an army unit does. And if you're in that type of thing, don't think I'm putting you down because I'm not. I'm really not. Uh, but... When, when, when that's what people see and they think that's what survivalism is and that's all that survivalism is they're not realizing that's one component just like when they show our military for that matter they show our military in tanks blowing stuff up and people on one hand either think it's cool or on the other side, side they think it's horrifying right? they don't get that while you know a combat operation slow down in an area that what happens next is the army engineers and, and the navy CBs etc move in we start building roads and bridges and schools so the kids can go to school all right when i was when i was in the army at one deployment we went to honduras we were there for six months we built a road so that people could get from one place to another and so that supplies could get into an area that generally people were stuck without any kind of outside help or support from and when we finished the road early instead of leaving we stayed and we built a series of schools so the children in that area could go to school and have a place to go to school and I think that's a lot how guns and survivalism have become all you see is you know and every time they try to resurrect one of these stupid gun bands they show some guy in camouflage out with an automatic weapon even though no one is out there running around with automatic weapons save a very small group of people that have a license that is so difficult to get that it's probably easier to become a commercial airline pilot than to get the license that allows you to own a fully automatic machine gun. Alright? But let's let all that go for a second and think about what it's like when you're standing 
25 yards away from a target with a pistol trying to do everything right to put those rounds into a small group. Or if you're doing tactical training, to be leaning out to the side of of an obstacle and taking a shot, making an assessment based on the targets that have been provided for you, threat or friendly. When you're doing these things, when you're cleaning a weapon after using it, when you're practicing dry fire exercises, when you're standing at a trap shooting clay birds, when you're standing in a dove field knocking down birds, when you're walking through a 15-station sporting clays course and shooting at different targets in different angles, in those moments, you are focused on what you are doing. You are focused on what you control, and you're probably not thinking about your 401k balance. You're probably not thinking about the fact that they're going to do layoffs at your company. You're not thinking about any of these things. You're thinking about right now, this moment, what do I do to get through it the best that I can? That's a pretty good way to look at modern survivalism. I'm focused on today. And I'm focused on the preparation for tomorrow, but I'm focused on only the things that I most control. I can control whether or not I learn how to can vegetables so that I can extend the storage capacity of what my garden produces for me. I can't control if the truckers go on strike and don't bring more canned vegetables to the source. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just aware of the reality that that's one thing that could occur. All right, And that's why I keep saying that the survivalism practiced sanely. If you're not part of the tinfoil hat brigade, you're not convinced that FEMA's fixing to round up half the population and ship us off like the Nazis did to, to the Jews and to other people, frankly. The Nazis, all you ever hear is the Nazis and the Jews, but the Nazis did it to the Jews, they did it to gypsies, they did it to uh, huge portions of the population outside of just the Jewish community. And there's a segment of society that thinks there's prisons all over the United States and they're going to round us up like cattle and get rid of us all. Folks, I don't see it happening. All right? I just think that's a little bit too much fantasy. Right? And even if that's a threat, what are you going to do? Focus on that. How's that going to make your life better? How's that going to help you live a better life if times get tougher even if they don't? It's not. All right. So to me, the, the true essence of the survival community and the movement that's growing today is because most of us have let all that stuff go. We might look at it on occasion because it's interesting or curiosity or something like that. But in reality, what we're focused on is how do I provide for and defend what I have? How do I protect what I have, be it from an outside threat or from simply apathy that allows me to let my investments coast on free will and do nothing? From one extreme to the other. How do I make my home produce for me versus consume all the efforts that I provide every day to an employer? Right? How do I make ground that, that my neighbor tried to grow a garden and it didn't work? How can I make that ground fertile and productive? How can I take the things that I throw away every day and turn them in to something valuable? Right down to the garbage, turning it into compost. That's what survivalism is really all about. How can I go out and find food that's on sale that stores well, that I can make meals for my family with that taste good, that we enjoy eating, and have a surplus of 90 days, six months, even a year of food, where if nothing else, we're going to keep the lights on, we're going to keep the, you know, as long as the power is there, we're going to keep the lights on, but we're going to keep the house paid for, and we're going to eat, and we're going to be okay. And how do I take that and transcend that so that I live my life a lot more fearlessly? 
Because fear is the enemy of a survivalist. Fear is the enemy of mankind as far as I'm concerned. When you conquer fear, you create liberty. Alright? The only people that should be in fear in this country, according to our founders, is our government. Our government should fear its people. And not fear that we're going to go down there with pitchforks and, uh, and, and torches and, and burn down the Capitol. They should fear that we'll fire all of them at a moment's notice. That we'll cast off all their government programs that we won't need them. They should fear that if they're not doing the very best job for us and putting our interests first above their own, that we'll get rid of them. Okay? And if they don't, which they don't right now, that means that people aren't living in enough of a liberated status full, uh, free of fear. Right now, people are fearing the government. They're fearing the economy. They're fearing losing their jobs. So modern survivalism is about turning that dynamic around and making people live fearless lives. And when you live a fearless life, you live an independent life. That's what this nation was founded on. So a lot of what I talk about is not survivalism in reality. It's simply living the way people lived 200 years ago. Right, which is not, but the history of mankind, 200 years, as a couple drops of sand through the hourglass. It's not that long ago. People had a lot more intelligence and the ability to think and the ability to have philosophies than we give them credit for 200 years ago. And as I did on a prior show, they lived a lot longer, okay, than we give them credit for. And because of that, there's a lot that we can learn from them. And the, to me, the chief thing we can learn from them is that a person in 1800 didn't really have a big idea what was going on 100 miles away, let alone 1,000 miles away. So he focused on what was going on right where he was at. That's my challenge for you. Figure out how you can take all your activities and all your preparations and turn them to focus on now, today and what you control. And when you see something that's outside of your area of control, don't completely ignore it, but make it lower on your list of priorities and where to focus your energy and your attention. If you do that, what you're going to find is you're going to start living that better life. And if nothing goes wrong, you won't care. Again, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.